0: is a God whose inexhaustible love will not give up on us. So I want to start this morning by asking you a question. What do you have in your hand? Thank you, Steve. Literally just looked at his empty hands. So uh, this is a literal question and a metaphorical question, right? Some of you, you got coffee, which is very important for Sunday morning church service. Uh, some of you have uh, your Bible. Maybe you've got the handout. Maybe you've got your phone. We're talking uh, literally what do you have in your hand, but also metaphorically what do you have in your hand? Do you have knowledge that God's given you? I was talking to Ben. He's an engineering major, God gave him some math. He did not give that to me. <laughs> Uh, maybe you have certain resources, uh, certain gifts. Uh, maybe you're good at uh, uh, hair and, and, and makeup. Maybe you're good at uh, uh, fixing cars. Maybe you're good at, at fixing shoulders. If You're into that thing, right Eric? Maybe you're good at who knows what, but they are gifts, abilities, things that God's given you. That's, that's what's in your hand. I want to come back to that question a little bit later. Uh, but right now, I'm going to put up a picture of a gentleman named Pastor Adam Tyson. Uh, that's Adam. And uh, I want to ask you what you think Adam is most likely to do. I'm going to give you three options. Do you think Adam is most likely to run ultra marathons as part of the World Vision team, raising support for World Vision? Uh, is Adam most likely to preach at Kanye concerts? Is Adam most likely uh, slated to be the next president of Liberty University and actually the newest member of President Trump's faith advisory board? Now, this is a, uh, we're about to do something uh, here where you are going to have audience participation. All right, you ready? So, uh, you have to choose one of those three. So, if you think that Adam is most likely. To run ultra marathons as part of the World Vision team, I'd like you to stand up now. that's what you think. Most likely. Okay? All right. Make your choice. Very good. All right. You know what you chose. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, is Adam most likely to preach at Kanye concerts? Go ahead and stand up if you think that's it. Are you already stood up, Eric. What are you doing? <laughs> All right. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. You know who you are. Uh, or do you think that uh, Adam is slated to be the next president of Liberty University and the newest member of Trump's advisory board on faith? All right, great. Look around. That was like probably the the highest one. Uh, it is not all three. It is one of those three though. A uh, little bit of background. Uh, Adam Tyson uh, is the senior pastor. Uh, of a small, uh, I mean, medium sized church, about 300, 350 people uh, in Newhall, California. It is a very white, very conservative, uh, very traditional church, you can tell. It's wearing suit and tie uh, to preach in. And uh, about four months ago, uh, Kanye showed up for a church service. Seriously, no joke. And uh, Kanye has uh, gone to uh, Placerita Bible Church uh, about six or seven times over the last four months. Uh, He met uh, Pastor Adam, um, who, let's be honest, looks like he definitely does either number one or number three, but not number two. (laughs) And uh, Kanye went to him and said, hey, um, I I got radically saved about six months ago, and I I know I need somebody to, like, teach me the Bible and disciple me, okay? Now, um, no matter what you think about Kanye, all right, uh, I believe the man. And I don't know what's all happening in his life, uh, but Jesus seems to be up to something. Uh, I will say, though, that Adam Tyson, as his uh, foremost discipler, uh, seems incredibly unlikely to me. Adam said, "Uh, sure, I'll teach you the Bible. Let's do a Bible study on Tuesday nights. You gather together, whoever you want, and I'll come over and I'll teach the Bible. And So he started doing that. And uh, then Kanye, because Kanye just kind of does these things, decided to buy a ranch in Wyoming. (laughs) And uh, he he said uh, to to Adam, hey, um, I'd like for the Bible study to continue. Um, Would it be possible for me to fly you out on Tuesday nights and I'll fly you back? Uh, Now, Adam's got five young kids. And he pastors this church, uh, and Adam is not a celebrity. There ain't no other celebrities that go to this church, all right? Like, these are, like, suburban, but the edge of suburban, okay? And uh, Adam said he needed to talk to his wife, and so he asked his wife, like, hey, what do you think, you know? Uh, and, and she said, well, if our neighbor asked you to teach them the Bible on Tuesday nights, where would you be on Tuesday nights? He said, well, I would be at my neighbor's house teaching them the Bible. She said, exactly. You, you, you should do this. And he said, okay. So uh, Kanye, for the last number of months, has been doing these things called Sunday service is what he calls it. It's basically kind of like a, a gospel worship concert. And a couple weeks ago, he was in Detroit. And he flew Pastor Adam out to preach. And he, uh, he came to Pastor Adam. He's like, hey, man, I want you to preach. And, and Adam said, how long do you want me to preach? He said, like, man, what about like an hour? And Pastor Adam was like, mm, how about like 15 minutes? <laughs> and so uh, Adam got up like he's probably a f- not a lot more conservative than me, but he's definitely more conservative than me. Like even in his theology, okay? And he got up and he just straight out preached the gospel. Look, uh, God created mankind. Mankind sinned. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Sinned into the world and screwed everything up. Uh, God loved Mankind so much that he was willing to send his very own son who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sin and my sin and rose back to life. And if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, he will come in and he will save you. And he used very straightforward like that is not the man you would expect to be asked to preach at a Kanye concert. Am I right? Uh, sometimes God comes to us and he calls us to do things that we feel like we are unqualified for. That, that, that we are, are not good enough to do or are just an incredibly unlikely candidate. You see, what I have found over the years is God likes to take the ordinary and do extraordinary things with them. God likes to take ordinary stuff and do extraordinary things with them. With it, that's what God is up to. And maybe you feel like, you know what, God? Um, I don't know why you called me. You don't know what gifts I have that you can use. I'm not sure, like, if I'm really the kind of person that you, that you would want to use. Sometimes it feels like even being a Christian is some cosmic mistake. Like, I just kind of grew up in this. And God comes... And God called. Did you know that God actually, the Bible says, has prepared good works for you to do before the foundations of the earth? So things that God has planned for you to do and you only. And if you don't do them, they don't get done by you. Look, you can't screw up God's will and God's ways. God's going to figure it out. God's going to get it done if it's his will. But God desires to work in us and through us he calls you he's got good gifts that he wants to give to you through these good works that he's prepared for you but if you don't do it they don't get done by you look to the person next to you and say God has things he wants you to do that's right God has things that he wants you to do all right and God doesn't make mistakes God doesn't make mistakes but God does take risks Turn to the person next to you and say, God takes risks. You're like, how can God take a risk? Right? Is it a risk if God says it? Let me uh, tell you how how God spells the word risk in the original Hebrew language. It's spelled (laughs) R-E-A-L-I-T-Y. See what I did there? You see, for God, nothing is a risk. On our side, when we look at it, We say, that's a crazy risk. Why would God do that? Why would God choose this person? Why would God take something so ordinary? But see, from God's perspective, he already knows how it's going to work out, and he actually knows who he is, that he's in control, and he's able to do things that are shockingly amazing and awesome and crazy and something you would never expect, but God knows he's able to do that. God takes risks on us when we're willing to take a risk on him. If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 3. As you know, we're in our series, You Can't Go Until You Leave. So we're walking through the book of Exodus. We can't hit on every single thing in the book of Exodus, but we are hitting on the major themes. And last week, we were reminded of where God is at in the midst of our suffering, right? When things are hard, when things are difficult, when we're not sure what to do. That God is a God who Hears a God who sees and a God who knows, and remember that—that that word uh, Elohim Yada, God knows. That God's knowing is not just that He uh, uh, sees it happening, but God's knowing is way more intimate and deep than that. When God says He knows, it means that He enters into. And that's why we were reminded that Jesus was also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, when God says that He knows, that means that God is about to get involved. Because he is always a God who comes near. And we just finished up the very end of chapter two and we find ourselves in chapter three. Now, before I can dive in though, I gotta talk about Moses. Okay? Now, we all kind of have heard about Moses, right? Uh, um, You saw the Disney film about him. Like, you're like, I know that cat, like Moses. But we gotta get a little bit of context before we jump into this because there's some backstory that we haven't covered yet. Uh, Moses was born at a time when Israel was multiplying, all right? They were just very having lots of babies, okay? And as a result, the Pharaoh was worried about them, and it didn't matter what Pharaoh did, they continued to multiply. So Pharaoh in Egypt said, well, uh, we're going to deal with this by killing all of the Hebrew male babies. And uh, that's the time that Moses was born into. Now, it's easy for us to kind of hear that and, and kind of just brush it out of our minds because it feels like just so long ago, and that's ancient history, da da But those were real babies. Just take a second and and recognize that, okay? Uh, These were real moms and real dads. And their children were being taken and and slaughtered. Genocide. And Moses is born into this. And his mom hides him for three months, but knows she cannot hide him forever. And so she makes a a basket out of reeds and puts some pitch and tar on it so that it's waterproof, and she puts Moses in there, and she puts him in the Nile River, basically saying, God, I, can't, I don't know what to do, but God, I have to let you do something. We don't get all the backstory there, but we do know that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the edge of the Nile to clean up, and she sees the little baby, and she takes the baby in and adopts the baby as part of Pharaoh's household. So he grows up with the best of everything. I mean, Egypt is like, they're like the, the America of that time. Like, they're the richest, most powerful nation around. He's got the best food, the best education, like all of that. Like, he's got it all. But he knows he's different. We don't know exactly when he finds out that he's been adopted, uh, but he does know that he is a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. And so it says one day he goes out and he sees a Hebrew slave master, or excuse me, uh, an Egyptian slave master that is abusing a Hebrew slave. And he's so fired up about this, this injustice, that he goes in and and exacts his own justice. uh, Kills the Egyptian slave overlord. Kills him and buries him. And then a couple days later, he comes back, and he sees two Hebrew slaves who are fighting. He's like, brothers, why are you fighting? And the one says, oh, what, you're going to kill one of us like you killed that Egyptian slave owner? And now he knows that the story's out. Pharaoh, it says, and the, the whole like, household, they all knew, and they want to kill Moses. So he's got to run away. He's got to flee. So he goes from nothing, what he's born into, at least nothing in the world's eyes, to having everything, to losing everything. So the the story is that he goes out into the wilderness, and while he's out in the wilderness, uh, he meets uh, um, these these shepherd girls. He protects them from some bad dudes. They introduce him to their father, who then blesses him, allows Moses to then stay with them. In fact, Moses gains a wife from that family. Zipporah becomes his wife. He has a, a son, names him Goshen, which means that he is a foreigner in a foreign land. He's now become a shepherd, okay? Was in Pharaoh's household, now he's just a shepherd taking care of some sheep. And this is where we pick up the story, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So it ain't even his flock. The priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is also sometimes called Mount Sinai. Okay, So if you see Horeb or Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the same thing. The mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Isn't it kind of funny, honestly? (laughs) Like this is happening and the way that the text describes it is just so matter of fact. Dude's out in the middle of the wilderness. And there's a bush out there. All right? And the thing's on fire. All right? Uh, he's got to be asking him, like, what, what, what berry did I just eat? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, like I, am I dehydrated right now? And the text is like, oh, I see this bush on fire and it's not fitting up. I'm going to go look at it. No, dude had to be, like, winging out. Like, what is going on? This is crazy. I, like, so he walks up to the bush, right? When the Lord. Now, I want to point something out, okay? If you have your Bibles, you're going to need to look at it here. When the Lord. Now. This is uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now, they make the O, the R, and the D a little bit smaller, but it's all capital letters, if you'll notice in your Bible. This is really important, and we're going to get back to that in a minute. There are other times where it says the word Lord in your Bibles, and it will be capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. We'll talk about that in a minute. When the Lord, all caps, (coughs) excuse me, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bushes. Excuse me, from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. (coughs) Excuse me. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, it's it's stated really kind of just matter-of-factly here, but this is crazy stuff. There's a bush that's on fire. It's not burning up. Moses walks over. It's still not burning up. And then the bush starts talking to Moses, okay, which if you didn't already think you had, you know, eaten some strange berries, now you got to be thinking it. But Moses knows this is like legit, for real, like something's happening here. And the voice starts speaking to him and then actually says uh, who the voice is. It says, don't come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for so the place you are standing is holy. Ground. Now, Moses had to have some sort of an idea, right? Because bushes don't just catch on fire and not burn up and talk to you. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses realized that he was in the presence of God and he didn't even want to look. And this is pretty normal for folks that wind up in the presence of God. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand, like, man, what, what would that have been like, right? Because, honestly, that, that, that must have been such a terrifying, awesome, unbelievable experience, sight, place. We don't even know how to really relate in many ways. But I actually think we should. Uh, because when we gather together as the body of Christ, Christ is uniquely present here. One of our values is awe and wonder. We we expect when we gather to experience the power and presence of the living God among us. When you walk into these doors, I hope that something feels different. I really like that's one of my prayers. I hope that when you walk into this place, that you have a sense that God is here tangibly, powerfully. And, And it ought to lead us into a place of reverence and awe, a place of worship. Which really is kind of what Moses is doing here by hiding. He's recognizing who he is and who God is. Now because we come through Christ to God's throne, we, we don't have to hide our face the way that Moses does. We, we actually though are drawn into a place of worship where we want to tell God who he is and how awesome he is. And how much he deserves to be praised and worshipped and how grateful we are. But that kind of an experience is an experience that I hope that all of us will have Now, I get it. We don't always feel the same way every time we walk into the church. Like, I understand. But if you never have a powerful experience where you just know God is with you in your midst, like we need to have a conversation because God promises that as followers of his, we get his spirit, the spirit of living God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside of us. Real God, full God, all God. That's crazy. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Moses is having this experience, and he's like, oh, I can't even look. So we come on, right, in verse 10. We're going to drop down a little bit. Oh, excuse me. Let me say verse 7, okay? He says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because, I, uh, because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. This is the, the same word, Elohim Yadav. Remember I talked about this last week? God knows. Okay, I don't like how the NIV translates it right here. ESV translates it a little bit better. God knows. So he sees, he hears, he knows. And remember, when I said if God knows, like that, that is like not just like I kind of get an idea. It means he's deeply, intimately connected and engaged. And so look what God says. Because he knows, he says, I know about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. You see, when God knows... God moves to action. God has come down. Now, jump down to verse 10 with me. He says, so now go, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses had to be like, uh, excuse me? Like, God, this whole thing is like crazy and cool and awesome and amazing and I don't deserve it and I'm scared and I'm kind of excited and I might have like wet myself a little, but just a little, but I'm just... Like, God... He's freaking out, okay? And then God says, now, go. You'd think he's like, all right, man, I'm in. Like, you're on fire and you're talking. and God says go. Moses doesn't want to go, though. In fact, Moses is about to give us uh, five excuses of why he's unqualified why he's unworthy, why he doesn't deserve, why he shouldn't be the one, because Moses is a lot like you and me. Let's look at him. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, excuse one, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? His first excuse is, I'm not worthy. God, I'm not worthy. you like, they want to kill me back there. Like, like I done messed up. Uh, I can't go back there, God. You, You should get somebody else, somebody else that's better, somebody else that's going to know more. Look what God says to him. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In fact, It is this mountain, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments from God. It is that mountain where God comes down on the mountain in smoke and fire with an earthquake and a a rumble to make Israel his people, his nation. This This is a mountain of power that God's going to do some amazing things. Here's the problem, though. That stuff doesn't happen until after Moses goes and does this. Like, how's that a sign? Like, that's not super helpful. So Moses then comes up with excuse number two. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, then what shall I tell them? Excuse number two, I don't know what to say. Look, God, I'm not worthy. I don't know what to tell them. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I love this. Listen to this. This is a classic. You guys have probably all heard this passage before. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I'll be what I'm going to be another way to translate it or I I create what I create he's saying to Moses man you ain't got to worry about that this is not God's name by the way a lot of times we think like what is God's name God's name is I am no it's not he's saying I'll be who I'm gonna be like you don't have to worry about that Moses I got this under control he continues on He, he says um Uh, Suppose I go to the Israelites, God said to Moses, I am who I am, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital, do you see that there? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me, this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word Lord there is God's proper name. Anytime in the Old Testament you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the name of God, his proper name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, Y-H-W-H. That's God's name. When Moses says, God, I don't know what to say, God says, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I am who I am. I'm going to take care of it, Moses. Stop worrying about that. You go tell them, Yahweh has sent you. God's proper name, he gives it To Moses. Now, we don't think that the Israelites didn't know God's proper name. We think that they do. And Moses is saying, What am I supposed to say? And God says, Look, tell them the name that they know and the name that you're supposed to know. We don't know if Moses did or did not know God's proper name at that time. But God gives it to him here. He says, That's who I am. That's who I am. You're so worried about you, you keep asking, I don't, I'm not, I can't. And God's like, Stop worrying about that, I will. I do. Excuse number three. Excuse me, excuse number two is gone. Excuse number three. Flip over to chapter four. Verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord didn't appear to you? Which is a fair question, right? Thank you so much. Which is a fair question. You're like, um... Are they really going to believe that, like, I met you at a bush that was on fire and then started talking to me? Like, God, come on now. You got to, like, help me out a little bit. So God says to him, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Remember that question I asked you. What is that in your hand? Now, what, what is Moses' vocation right now? Shepherd, right? What does a shepherd have? A staff, right? Now, I don't buy that it's this, like, pretty carved-up thing that was, like, Real straight and came up and had a little hook on it, like, all right, just a stick. All right, you're a shepherd, you need a little staff, a little stick, right? You probably like the stick, it's probably nice and strong, right? A sheep gets out of line, you smack them in the butt, they get back in line, right? Someone comes at you, you got a stick, you can pop. Like, that's what it's it's a stick. Because that's what a shepherd needs. And he's got one. But this is just an ordinary thing, right? There's nothing special about it. God says, what is in your hand? And look, friends, you need to be asking yourself that question. What is in your hand? And God says, take it and throw it on the ground. Take it and throw it on the ground. And so Moses throws it on the ground, and that stick becomes a snake. And what does Moses do? Yes! He runs away from it. Just like these folks. Look, if you see a snake, you should run, right? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what snakes make us do. They make us run. And, and, and Moses suddenly throws down a stick, turns into a snake. Dude's like, woo, I'm out. And I'm like, He's gone. And God says to him, now Moses, go pick up the snake by the tail. That's not the place you're supposed to pick up a snake, okay? You've got to grab him by the head. You pick him up by the tail, they're going to bite you. And whatever snake this was, all right, it, it was the kind of snake you run from. All right, Moses knew that. It's also, we're going to find out a little bit later, that uh, that snake actually eats other snakes, okay? Like, this is a no-joke kind of snake. And he says, pick him up by the tail. And Moses finally obeys God. And he picks it up by the tail and it turns back into his staff. Uh, God says, look, uh, I'm the one sending you. I'm the one doing the rescue. I'm the one that's got the power. I'm the one that's going to be with you. Not only that, but I'm going to even give you some things that you can prove to other people that it's me doing it and not you, right? Because Moses could throw his staff down all day long, and it's just going to bounce, right? It's not going to turn into a snake. He gives Moses actually two other ways that he's going to prove to other people that Moses has actually been sent by Yahweh. We don't have time for all those, so I'm going to get us down to verse 10. Verse 10. Chapter 4. Now it's Moses' fourth excuse. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Um, Moses had like the best of everything growing up. He would have had the best schools, the best education. And yet we find something out about Moses. Uh, I, I guess I would think Moses probably loved being a shepherd. He probably loved being out in the wilderness where he wasn't by anybody. We, we don't know what exactly this means for Moses. Um, he maybe had a speech impediment. Uh, maybe he stuttered a lot. Uh, maybe he just really had a hard time literally getting the words out of his head into speech. Uh, I think he probably got made fun of when he was growing up. I think that even though he had all the best of everything, he probably still felt, in many ways, very alienated, like, I- I'm, I'm not worth as much as somebody else. And now he finally gets to, to a heart, a m- more of a, a root core issue. He's like, God, I not only am I not worthy, God, not only do I not know what to say, God, I'm not even sure what to do if they don't believe me, but, but, but now he's saying, God, I'm not able. God, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I don't know how, to, I can't do this. Now, this is his fourth excuse, too, by the way. But God's inexhaustible love won't give up on Moses. God's grace continues to move his patience. And look what God says. Yahweh said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Look, some of you feel like, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have all the background. I don't have the education. or I don't, I'm not really good with my words. I, I, I'm, and you feel less than. And I think Moses felt less than. You need to know something You're not a mistake And God In our weakness Shows off His power God loves Taking ordinary things and doing Extraordinary things with them Hold on to that This is then when things get a little Crazy though You see, because those are four excuses, and God has dealt with all four of them, with grace and patience. I'm not worthy. I don't know what to say. I don't think they'll believe me. I'm not able. Now Moses comes in verse 13 and says, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Now look at that Lord, okay? Is that the one with all capitals, or is that the one with a capital and lowercase? Capital and lowercase, right? That is the generic name, Elohim, for God. God has given him his personal name, Yahweh. And now Moses is not using Yahweh, even though he has been up until this point. Now Moses says, pardon your servant, Elohim. Please send someone else. See, now Moses says, I'm not willing. Up until this, it's been all these different excuses, but now he's just flat out saying no. And then it says, and Yahweh's anger burned against him. See, Moses just doesn't want to do it. God sends somebody else. Nope, I'm not your man. I won't do it. I'm not willing. And that's when God gets angry with him. Now, a lot of times, like, oh man, that Old Testament God, like, he's such an angry God. Let me explain to you why I think God gets furious in this space. It's not because God doesn't know how to control his anger. A lot of times we kind of think like, well, God will give you this much, but then you get there and then the whole thing blows. I told you four times, now I feel my wrath! Right? Like I, mean, I think that's how we often think God is. I think God gets furious with him because he realizes that Moses doesn't trust that God's doing this for Moses' blessing. Not only that, but when When he decides not to obey God, when he doesn't want to do it, when he says he's not willing, not only is he refusing a blessing God wants to put on his life, but he's actually slowing down a blessing that God wants to do through Moses for a whole bunch of other folks. I think that's what God's actually furious of. Moses is basically saying, I don't trust your goodness. For me and for anybody else. You messed up, God. You got the wrong person. I'm not, I'm not willing to do it. And God gets angry with that. Is there anything that God has been asking you to do? That God has been calling out to you? And maybe you've given all kinds of excuses. And God, in his inexhaustible love and patience, is like, well, let me explain to you. Uh, I'll be doing the saving. <laughs> let me explain to you. I'll be with you. Uh, let me explain to you. I'm the one who created everything that you have, and I will help you with it. And then you're like, yeah, okay, 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 but no, I just, no, I'm out. I don't want to do it. And God does get frustrated with that, angry with that. Because God's like, I want to bless your life. I'm not asking you to do this because it's going to harm you. I'm asking you to do this because it's actually going to enhance you. That's what God's about. Not only that, but God wants to enhance other people through you. The blessing is never just for you, but it is for you. The blessing's for others as well, and you need to know that. You need to trust that. You need to believe that. And when you don't, God gets angry. Is there anything that you're saying no to God about right now? Don't listen to me for the next five minutes while I finish up. You just talk to God if that's the case. You do some work with him. The rest of you, let me finish up here. Uh, God often calls us to do things that are hard, things that are going to require real sacrifice, right? Right? But it's always for our benefit and the benefit of others. Now, I want to get back to that initial question. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? But God has given you experiences. God has given you uh, resources. God has given you uh, uh, different gifts and abilities. God has placed you in places that you're like, well, this is a dumb place. Right? You're like, I don't I don't want to I don't want to be a cashier at Burger King the rest of my life. This is not and God's like, you don't think I put you there on purpose? Well God, I I, I don't know that uh, I want to mow my neighbor's lawn for the rest of my life. You don't think that God has put you there on purpose? God wants to bless you when he calls you to do what looked to us ordinary things. But God loves taking ordinary things and doing something extraordinary with it. You simply have to say, what is in my hand? What's the thing that God's given me? And then start asking God to do something extraordinary with it. Look, you're probably not going to lead a nation out of slavery. Okay? That's, pro- that's probably not God's calling on your life. If it is, awesome. Like, we'll be behind you, 100%, all right? Because we are anti-slavery, all right? We want that to go down. If that's your calling, sweet. But, you know, for most of us, that's probably not going to be it. But he might ask you to lead a coworker out of slavery. He might ask you to lead a family member out of slavery. He might ask you to lead a neighbor out of slavery. Spiritual slavery. He might even ask you to lead someone out of... Real slavery here in GR because we know that there is human trafficking going on. Look, God wants to use you with whatever gifts and abilities and passions you've been given. It's not an accident. Friends, what is in your hand? Father God, we want to be a church that says yes to you. God, I will admit, uh, I don't always say yes. And it's for the same reason that Moses doesn't say yes. It's because he just doesn't trust that actually you're good and what you're calling him to do and what you call me and all of us to do is always for our benefit because sometimes it feels like it's going to be really, really, really hard. And truth be told, a lot of times it is. But God, you know that if we will walk the path that you call us on, if we will offer to you whatever it is that you've placed in our hands, that God, you will do extraordinary things with ordinary people. And God, we want to be on that side, your side. God, help us to trust that when you call us out, into something, to do something, to say something, to be something, that God, it is always going to be ultimately for our benefit and for the benefit of others. God, let us trust you. Help us to trust you. Jesus, thank you for being willing to model that for us. The cross did not look like something that was beneficial to you, and yet at your resurrection, Your name was lifted as the highest name of all, and you sit at the right hand of your Father, reunited again in the Holy Trinity. And Father God, as a result, your Son is exalted. Jesus, thank you for giving us that model. Let us live into it for your sake, for your name, for your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen.